Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you, especially those watching online, listening by podcast. Glad that you are in the house of the Lord this morning listening to His Word. Thank you, worship team, for uh, giving us the opportunity. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that God has done a lot for us? And then for the worship team to give us the opportunity to express that gratitude and love back to God, that's awesome. So thank you, worship team, for doing that. I trust that you have enjoyed uh, praying through these uh, 21 days of prayer. Uh, it comes to a conclusion today with a prayer walk around the church right after our business meeting, which won't take but about two minutes or less uh, for today. Uh, and so if you're physically able, we encourage you to do the prayer walk around uh, the perimeter of the church. We have up here uh, on the stage as well as at the hub uh, some general instructions about things that you can do as you prayer walk and some specific things as well, like when you go by the kids' building, you pray for the kids' ministry, pray for Kim Freeman, pray for all those working with the kids when you get around to other parts of the building, the same thing with all those different areas. And so uh, we encourage you to do that uh, sometime today if you can. <clears throat> now, 21 days of prayer is in, and so we needed something else to do, right? So up here on the stage and again at the Hub, we have these little bookmark cards called 90 Days with Paul. All right, and uh, you can see up here, there's, there's uh, all the books, that uh, writings of Paul that we're going to go through in 90 days. There are some catch-up days in there in case you get behind, but there's four suggestions to do after you read that uh, part of the Scripture that you can pray because we're still trying to learn how to pray first instead of praying last, right? We don't want prayer to be the last attempt. We want it to be the first thing we we do. So I encourage you to grab those. And if you didn't know, Wednesday nights, every Wednesday night at 545 to 645, we have prayer in the sanctuary. The doors are open and it's a come and go kind of thing where you can come in and pray for five minutes. You can come in and pray for 50 minutes if you want to. But we have suggested prayer guides in there as well each Wednesday night to come and just pray for whatever's on your heart, whatever's going on in your life. So encourage you to come by and take advantage of that as well. And then today at five o'clock, we have a recognized class. So if you missed that in the cycle going through, uh, when you went through, you can join us today at five o'clock in the fellowship hall. Well, we conclude our series today on who's your one, but we're going to continue on our theme one more in 24 because we know that every person has someone who you can talk to them about Jesus with, Right? Everybody's got someone in their life that you can reach out to. And so we want you to continue to focus and think about who's your one that you're going to reach out to as we bring one more in 24, all right? And we get this mission from Jesus, right? Because he described himself as being on a search and rescue mission, right? When he said in Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And so if you're taking those, we're going to write this down one more time because it's so true. And that is nothing matters more than finding someone who is lost. Nothing matters more than finding someone who is lost. It was Jesus' priority. It needs to become our priority if it's not already. But speaking of being a follower of Jesus Christ, we're going to start a new series next week. It's kind of follow-up to this one as well. It's called Dare to Follow because no one accidentally begins to follow Jesus better. You ever notice that? That just doesn't happen by accident. There are actually, you know, um, 
steps and disciplines and things that you have to choose and prioritize in your life in order to follow Jesus better. So we're going to be talking about what those are, and there'll be some of the steps that we have in our DARE process that we teach everyone. So it's going to be good, and it'll be really good if you could get your one to maybe come to church next week as we start that new series, or maybe a co-worker, a friend, or neighbor. But we, we encourage you to do that. But today we're going to pick up with the last part of Luke 15. We're going to pick up where we left off in the story last week with the story of the prodigal son. Now, I know last week I read my version of the prodigal according to primetime television shows, and if you missed that, you can go back on Facebook and watch that on video, or you can go watch it or listen to it on your favorite podcast uh, device, whatever that might be, and, and you can go back for any of the others that you missed in the series or even other series before now, so we encourage you to catch up and do that. Now, we call it the, the parable of the prodigal son, but Jesus didn't call it that. Because if you notice, it starts out differently. It starts out by saying a certain man had two sons. You ever notice that? He had two sons. And Jesus is such a brilliant storyteller here because he realizes that people get lost in more than one way. And so we're going to pick up the story here in verse 25. But remember, the prodigal brother has been out in the far country. He's taken his inheritance. He spent all of it on wild living and partying. But now he's coming home, and they're having this huge party at the dad's house like the son had never left. And so we pick it up with the brother. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, can you hear the contempt, <laughs> comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he is found. Like I said, Jesus is such a brilliant storyteller because he, he realized there's more than one way that people get lost. For example, for those of you who have been parents of young children, or who maybe are now, have you ever lost a kid in your own house? Yeah. I mean, you, you know they're there somewhere, but you can't find them. Well, about a year ago, Amanda, Manna, for the grandkids, she was uh, babysitting the two youngest ones at that time, age two and age five. Jake, age two, suddenly kind of came up missing. So Manna gets ready to go on her hide-and-go-seek little thing that she's about to do, all right? So she goes through searching for Jake, who's two, and she goes, does a sweep of the downstairs, no Jake, sweeps the upstairs, no Jake. All right, so she comes back down to do her second sweep. And this time she goes, now, Jake, man, is looking for you. It's time, if you're hiding, it's time for you to come out. And so she sweeps the bottom floor, no Jake. Sweeps the top floor, no Jake. All right, so she's about to do a third sweep. When John Henry, his five-year-old brother, man, says, hey, John Henry, you're going to have to help us find Jake because I think we've lost him. He says, oh, man, I sure am going to miss him. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. On the third sweep through, 
the upstairs. She found Jake, who about 10 minutes now had been hiding behind the bathroom door that was pushed up against the wall. I mean, that's a long time for a two-year-old not to move, right? Well, he gets it from his daddy, Mac. I got to tell you, when I was six years old, I hid from my parents and my sister in the dirty clothes hamper, okay? Put all the dirty clothes on top of me, and I was underneath there. An hour went by. I, I don't remember this completely, but they told me an hour had gone by. They were about to call the police when I guess I'd gotten fidgety after that long in that <laughs> little hamper there. But uh, my sister came by, did another sweep. She saw some of the dirty clothes smooth. And I got to tell you, not only was I found, but I was found to be in a lot of trouble. Okay? And uh, the point of that is to say, you know, you can stay home and get lost. And that's what happened here. The father didn't have one lost son. He had two lost son. He had one younger son that was lost to him spatially in that he was in a faraway country, but he had another lost son that was lost relationally, and he never left the farm, right? Both boys had the same problem, too. They didn't know their dad very well. The younger son had no idea how adored he was by his father, and neither did the older son. He didn't know how much his father loved him. See, the older son, his view was that his place at the father's table had to be earned, and so he dutifully obeyed in everything he did. In fact, notice he said, he used the word slave. He said, I, all these years, I have slaved for you. That's a strong term. I mean, what father wants to hear their child say about the relationship? Well, you're the master and I'm just the slave. Nobody wants to hear that. So it's really easy when we read this story to be very insulting of the older brother, right? But for a couple of minutes, I want you to try to get in his shoes for just a minute because he was dedicated, man. He was obedient. While the younger son's out there partying, and he's out there working in the field. I mean, he's bringing in the crops. He's paying the bills. He's keeping the farm going. Matter of fact, if it wasn't for him, there might not have been a farm and a house for the younger brother to even come back to. And so he's dedicated. And here's why this is important to understand. Self-righteousness is what we're going to be talking about today. Self-righteousness can only exist in a heart that values righteousness. A heart that values decency and morality. See, it's only because you value these things that the temptation comes in for you to even be self-righteous. It's because you value what that stands for. For example, Jesus tells us the story of the two men who went to the temple to pray. And the Bible says that this one guy, he was a very noble man. He was very decent. He was very upright. He valued righteousness, right? But look at how he prays in Luke 18. He says, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Now, not that we would ever pray a prayer like that. Yeah, right. We've all prayed that kind of prayer before. Maybe you didn't pray it out loud, and maybe you didn't pray it consciously. But we've all had these thoughts when we saw the guy standing down on the corner drinking something out of the paper bag. Or we went by the corner and we saw the guy holding up the cardboard sign wanting some food. Or we were at the convenience store and we were pretty certain that that lady was spending her last three bucks on a lottery ticket. And then that group of boys that's walking down the road with their pants hanging halfway down their legs. And you thought, thank God, I'm not like any of those people. Yeah, that kind of hurts, doesn't it? Because it's true. We've all had those thoughts. But when you really do want to make better choices and live better, 
values, live those out in your life, there's always going to be the temptation for the enemy to sneak in and say, you know what, you, because of all those things that you're doing and trying to do, you are a little bit better than those folks around you, right? You see, the older brother, he, he wasn't far from the father because he was wicked. He was far from the father because he actually thought he was very righteous. And that's the whole thing I, I want you to see today. If you're taking notes, write that down. It might just be possible that your one could be one who thinks they are righteous. Your one could be that person out there that says, you know what? I've had all of Jesus I need. I've got enough. I've been in church a lot of years, and I've got all the Jesus I need. Whew. But notice that the father noticed he was missing. And that's the thing about God. He notices when any of his children are missing, and he goes looking for them. And every person breathing needs to be a child of God. Because God loves the self-righteous as much as he does the unrighteous. And somebody here needed to hear that today. Either for yourself or someone that is going to be your one. Because it's so easy to mock and criticize and, and you know, post stuff about all the people out there you know, that are self-righteous. But you know, when we do that stuff, we're not being like Jesus. Because he loves the self-righteous as much as he does the unrighteous. We've got to get that in our head. So each week, we, we've seen Jesus have an encounter with someone who was lost in a different kind of way, right? Well, today we're going to look at a man who was lost in his own righteousness. In Mark chapter 10, if we'd flip over there, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, must not commit adultery, must not steal, must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. I've been a good little boy. Looking at the man, Jesus, don't miss this, felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The same thing he said to all the rest of them, right? At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. So there's a lot of takeaways from that and I'm going to give you a couple of them real quick. It's not even in your bulletin. First of all, I want you to take note that Jesus had great love for someone who thought they had a great opinion of their own selves. Notice that. Second of all, this man's goal in life was to be good. The more commandments I keep, the more heaven points I get. And the more heaven points I get, the greater chance I might have a place at the table in heaven. And so my goal in life is to get more heaven points than anybody else around me so that I can make sure I, I'm, I'm ahead of them in the race, so to speak. And then the final thing I want you to see is that Jesus let the man walk away. A good man. One that... You know, you'd, you'd want him to be your neighbor. You'd want him to join our church and to teach our teenagers in small group. You know, you'd want him to, to be your business partner. This was a good man, but Jesus let him walk away. Because even though he was a good man, his whole life was based on a bad question. And that is, what must I do to inherit? Notice the contradiction in terms there. What must I do to inherit he wasn't asking, how can I be a better brother? He was asking, how can I be a better slave? And Jesus is really good at finding 
the lost. He found wandering Levi, right? And he said, come follow me. And Levi followed him. He found the woman at the well who was hurt. She went back telling everybody in town who the Messiah was. Jesus found the prodigal, the rebel out there. I mean, Jesus is good at finding the lost. And here's the irony of the whole thing I want you to get. The hardest group of people for Jesus to find and to invite into the kingdom of heaven is that group of people who think they are already in the kingdom. Right? And the Bible's full of that. And maybe that describes your one. It's going to be a tough job. Your one more than 24 is going to be a really hard task. But that may just be who God gives you. And it could be that you are that one today. Maybe somebody listening uh, to a podcast or watching online today, it could be that you are the one that we're describing. If so, I want to tell you four quick things that we can learn from this, and it's going to be quick. Someone can be good and lost. Now, I know what I just said is offensive, and it kind of goes against our dominant theology of the world today because, you know, our nation, is, with as many problems as we have, most people still have a concept of God in our nation. Most people still believe that God exists, and they believe that there's going to be uh, a, a life after death, and they believe that there's, there's going to be a judgment one day. Most people believe all that kind of stuff. But you know what else most people believe? Is that they're going to be okay because they're, they're, they're pretty good people anyway. Especially when they look around, they see how bad other people around them are. See, if Satan, don't miss it, if Satan can't separate you from God with immorality, he will separate you from God with your own sense of morality. And some are far from God, not in spite of their goodness, but because of their goodness. See, nobody's harder to say than somebody that thinks they're better than everybody else. Now, that's not to say that these people would ever say that they were perfect. They would never claim to be perfect. They just think they're better than most others around them, right? They think God grades on the curve, and they know they're not going to get a perfect score, but their score, they're pretty certain in their heart of hearts, is going to be a little bit higher than most others around them. And so they think they're okay. Matter of fact, they almost rejoice when somebody fails or falters or comes up a little short because it makes them feel better about what they're doing. And they don't understand that their definition of good is so bad. So even good can be lost. Second thing is no one is good enough. If your goal is to be good, you don't need to be a Christian. There are all kinds of religions and all kinds of moralities out there that will teach you how to be a better person. You don't need to be a Christian. But the consistent witness of Scripture is that if you want to be a Christian, no one is qualified to save themselves. No one is good enough. Romans 3.10, as the Scriptures say, no one is righteous, not one, even one. Verse 23, for everyone is sin and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And, you see, and, and see, that's why the gospel offends so many people and is offensive to a lot of folks because they think the Bible's saying, you mean to tell me the Bible's saying I, I'm as bad as that person over there? No, that's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's not saying that everyone is equally bad. The Bible's saying that everyone without Jesus is equally bad. That's what it's saying. Here's what you need to understand. You're not good in God's eyes because you're just sometimes sinful and everybody else is mostly sinful. 
And you're not good in God's eyes because you just sin some of the time and they're sinning all the time. That's not the way it works. All of us fall short of God's glorious standard. So exactly what is that standard? Well, it's being perfect. That's the standard, being perfect. And nobody can be perfectly holy except God. Only God can be the perfect, righteous, standard person that he set it out to be. And you know what? God did that. He did that. So the mystery and the majesty of the, the gospel is that there's no other faith in the world that even remotely comes up with the answer like the one that we have for Christianity. Just can't do it. The fact that God put on flesh and God did not become sin, a sinner like us, but he became sin for us. Right? He became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's how we get right with God. It's not through us, it's through him. Titus 3, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. You'll never earn enough heaven points. Can't do it. Verse 7, because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. See, we get the best job in the world, and that is going out and telling the good news. Not just giving good advice, but telling the good news on how to be better at being good. And we get to tell the right answer. And see, the good news is people aren't saved because they're good. They're saved because they're forgiven. And so they don't have to do anything. We don't have to do anything. God's already done it. We just have to receive it. Because in Christ Jesus, the righteousness of a good God has already been put on us through him. No one is good enough, but grace is available to all. All, every person, right? And so if you don't get this next thing I'm going to tell you, you're probably not ever going to grasp the one I just gave you because they're both pretty difficult in our human minds. To God's grace is just pretty big stuff, right? So here, here's the next principle, though. and it, It's a struggle to believe that everyone can have everything. Everyone can have everything. See, this is where the older brother needed to come to his senses. But he was lost at home because he believed two big lies. The first lie he believed was that the father's love is conditional. I've got to earn it. So I've got to go out there and do all my duties, and I have to earn his love by producing. And that's a lie, folks. Same with Christianity. The second big lie that he believed was that the father's inheritance is inadequate. That the father didn't have enough to go around. You know, that he was convinced that the father's generosity to his younger brother was going to somehow cost him some of his stuff. You ever felt that way as you look around the world? You ever seen a small child push their brother or sister out of their mom or dad's lap for no good reason? Now, why would they do that? Because in their little mind, they think mom and dad only has so much love to go around, and my brother or sister is getting it right now and not me. And so we're not going to have that. They don't have enough love to go around. The scripture says, though, that all the blessings of our inheritance in Christ is for all of you. You get it all. The older brother couldn't figure that out. He lacked confidence in the abundance of the Father. And so, yeah, it comes across he's kind of disgusted with his brother. But, you know, it wasn't just his disgust with the brother as much as it was his distrust of the Father. That's right. All those years, he said, I did the right thing. I was a dutiful slave, and not even one time would you give me even one measly goat to have a party with, much less the big fattened calf. And the father comes back and he says, have all the parties you want. 
Take all the goats you need. Everything I have is already yours, son. He's trying to get his son to stop thinking like a slave. So the thing is, we don't know if this older brother ever came to his senses or not. The Bible does not tell us. But I can tell you that I did. I was telling our apply class last week, I was sharing with them about in my younger years as a teenager, I was the rebel son. I was the prodigal. See, I came along late in my parents' life. And my parents only knew one way to parent, and that was with a whole bunch of rules. And as a young boy, I just didn't like rules very much. So I rebelled. And then at age 13, I got saved. And I found out I still didn't like rules. But now I was living in a Christian world that had a whole bunch of new set of rules that I was supposed to keep, right? And as a teenage boy, I just didn't understand how that my parents' rules were in place to try to protect me and guide me through life. And I sure didn't understand at 13 that God's rules were for the same reason, right? And so my rebellion against rules transferred not just from my parents, but they also transferred over to my relationship with God. And then somehow the church seemed to kind of reinforce my misunderstandings. Because in my teenage mind, I'm thinking, if I go to church and I do all the right things, then my life is going to be awesome. And it just didn't quite go that way. Being a teenager is hard. And growing up, trying to live for God was tough. It also kind of taught me, you know, if you're going to have a future with God, you know, you've got to get it right. You've got to follow the rules. You've got to have the right doctrines. You've got to have the right behaviors. And you know what? I tried really hard to be that boy. I really did. But you know what? I had a problem. I couldn't do it. As hard as I tried, I couldn't keep all the rules. I was always coming up short and always failing. And, and so I can remember at night sometimes laying in my bed thinking, you know, I say I'm a Christian, but my actions aren't very Christ-like. And so I'm not even sure if I were to die tonight that I would even go to heaven. And then I went to the next level. And I said, you know what? God, I'm not even sure if you're going to let me keep on living on this earth because if I keep living this way and I'm being such a bad witness for the kingdom of God and in my Christianity, I'm not living up to the thing. I'm not sure you're going to even let me live like that. Why would you? And so the point of all this is to say the important part of this anyway is that the fear of God in me kept me alive long enough for me to come to my senses. And I did one day. You say, what happened? Well, one day... When I was out there being the rebel, the father came out to the field. And he kept chasing me. And he kept pursuing me. And he kept showing me how much he loved me. Because you know what? The father loves the self-righteous as much as he does the unrighteous. And the father helped me come to my senses. And so the next question is, well, how did he do that? Well, I started reading in his word and I started finding out and discovering a God that loved me more than he wanted to get back at me for the wrong things and the failures that I'd done. And that his grace somehow mysteriously covered every one of my shortcomings and my failures and it did it 100% of the time. He always forgave me every time I asked him to. 
And some of you here today, you need to reaffirm the fact that you too are a child of God. Right? Reclaim that once again. Romans 8 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, which means dad or daddy. And, and don't take this wrong. Sometimes I think we, we get in our head this view of God that he's so holy and he's so heavenly that he's almost untouchable. But we need to sometimes think of our whole heavenly father who is holy as dad or daddy that we can just crawl up in his lap and him put his big old arms around and say, it's okay. I know you messed up, but I still love you. Because the next verse says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Has your children ever messed up? Did they ever break any of your rules? Did you quit loving them? No. Well, God loves us even more than that. So stop believing the lie. We get the inheritance, folks. We get everything God has for us. The story started out in Luke 15 with them criticizing Jesus about who he hung out with. And then Jesus, he goes and tells us these stories because, see, like in this one, the point that he was trying to get across had nothing to do with trying to change their mind about the, um, the brother. It was Jesus trying to change their mind about the father. Because here's the last thing that we learn. Anyone who finds grace finds others. See, Jesus isn't just inviting us to the celebration party. He's inviting us on the rescue party. He wants us to join that party too because you know what? Found people find people. You've heard that, right? Well, last week I gave my version of the story according to primetime. I'm going to be even more presumptuous today to say that this story, as great as it is, could have been told even better. Okay? Don't fire me yet until you hear it. I think it could have been better if Jesus would have told it this way. It was a father and he had two sons. And the younger son came and said, give me my inheritance now. And he took it and he went off to a far country and he wasted it on wild and sinful living and dishonored the father's name. But every day the father would go out to the porch and look down the road. And his heart broke for his lost son. And also in the house there was an older brother who loved his dad. And he couldn't stand to see his father's heart so broken. So one day he went to his bedroom and got his suitcase and he got all the money together he could get. And he went out to find his younger brother. He went to the far country. He went to the bars. He went to the brothels. And he heard he was out working in servitude to a pig farmer. And he found him in a barn, feverish and weak. And he was about to pick him up when the pig farmer burst in and said, You can't have him. He's in debt to me. He's my slave. And the older brother says, I'll give you everything I've got. All my privilege and all my wealth to pay his debt for him. And then he picked up his younger brother and he started home. And the father was out on the porch and he looked down the road and he saw his two boys and he took off and he ran and he showered them with hugs and kisses and tears. And they all went back to the house and they had the most wonderful party ever. I told you. An even better story, right? Well, see, in a way, Jesus did tell that story because that was his story. Jesus is the older brother who came looking for the younger brothers and sisters, which are you and I. And then Jesus went to the cross and he died to pay our debt so that we could be free. But you know what? Jesus also went to the cross because he loved his dad. And he knew that this was making 
his dad happy because, you know what? The Bible says this was the father's plan and will the whole time. See, Jesus really is good at finding lost people, even people who are good and lost. And he is asking us to come join him in finding other people. So I encourage you to take away today what we've been taking away all month long, and that is someone's eternity is depending on you. Someone's eternity is depending on you. So the next question is very important. What's your next step in reaching yours? I mean, we've been talking about it for a month now. Maybe it's to invite them for lunch, take them out to dinner, have them over the house for a cookout. Maybe it's to go to the movie with them or sporting event. I, I don't know. It could be to invite them to church next week as we start this new series. But someone's eternity is depending on you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray and as we wrap up this series today? I'm going to be praying over you, but here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Father to bring that person to your mind, that one who is far away from God right now, and I just want you to think about them for a second. Get that person in your mind. So, Father, we confess your goodness today. You're a good Father. You don't hold back anything from your children. You shower us with grace, mercy. We don't have to perform to get your love. All we have to do is trust it and receive it. So God, because you're so good, we're asking you to create in the next month an opportunity for us to have that conversation with someone who doesn't know who you really are. And we believe that you'll do that because you love your kids even more than we do. And I pray for that person who is in this room today who is watching online, who is listening to this by a podcast or some other way, I pray, Father, if they are that one who might just feel like that they're righteous enough without you to come to that understanding and be awakened by the power of the Holy Spirit today in their heart to understand they are not. They are not good enough without you. And so, Father, we pray that you would bring back those who have wandered who have gone astray for whatever reason, whether it was just they, they didn't see it coming or they did it as a rebel. doesn't matter. You still love us. And so bring us back even today. In Jesus' name we ask it. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's all stand as we sing, as we worship together. we got much to be thankful for. We're blessed today. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.